0: Welcome to our podcast, Making Sense of Science, the show that features interviews with leading experts in health and science about the latest developments. I'm your host, Kira Peekoff, the editor of leaps.org. And today we're going to be talking about COVID boosters and specifically some exciting new research. I'm really thrilled that my guest today is Dr. Akiko Iwasaki, a professor of immunobiology at Yale whose research focuses on how the immune system defends itself against viruses at mucosal surfaces. Dr. Iwasaki, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So can you first start off by telling us a little bit more about your expertise in your area of study?
1: So I am an immunologist. I have been studying mucosal immunity for over two decades. Um, What that means is that we study infections that happen in the mucosal tissue, such as the uh, respiratory mucosa, the intestinal mucosa, as well as genital mucosa. And so we've been studying immune responses in these uh, mucosal surfaces and Uh, The reason we're focusing on these tissues is that because most pathogens enter through these mucosal surfaces, and uh, we really need to understand how we mount immune responses in these sites so that we can emulate that with the vaccines to protect uh, humans from infectious diseases.
0: Got it. So uh, clearly an extremely relevant area of focus today, especially at this very moment when we're all wondering... Will we need another booster? And if so, when and and how often?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So before we get into your research, I want to just set the stage by acknowledging some recent studies about booster efficacy that have shown mixed outcomes. So, one study that was just released by the US analyzed data from a network of hospitals across 10 states between August of last summer and January, and found that vaccine efficacy against hospitalization dropped to around 80% four months after a second or a third shot. But there were limitations, a very small sample size, and there was no stratification for age or health status. And then another study that was published this week in Nature and and funded by Moderna showed that 26,000 patients in the Kaiser health system had basically no waning against hospitalization with a booster. Um, the, the effect of, of waning was so, so limited that they basically didn't even see an effect of waning. Um, so what, what do you make of these different outcomes?
1: Well, each study has um, its own design and population and um, statistics, and um, so it's hard to generalize. You know, every single study that we see, but overall, if you look at uh, a number of studies coming out on the uh, effectiveness of vaccines against hospitalization and death. Uh, the, the two doses and, and particularly three doses of mRNA vaccines are holding up very well against these um, parameters. What is declining, however, is especially with the emergence of very transmissible variant like the Omicron, uh, is the uh, effectiveness in uh, prevention of infection and transmission. So that is why we are focusing on mucosal immune responses because that's what we need to prevent uh, infection and transmission uh, as, a, as opposed to severe disease and hospitalization, which is uh, the protection is provided pretty well with the current vaccines.
0: Can you explain to us, as a lay audience, scientifically, why would the mRNA vaccines wane against infection after a few months, but the mucosal surfaces um, would potentially overcome that challenge?
1: So, vaccines, regardless of you know how, how what the platform is, whether it be mRNA or um, viral vectored vaccines, uh, there there is waning of immune responses that happen over time. Um, so the immune responses consist of many things, uh, antibodies and T cells, and and so you know the antibody levels uh, in circulation declines over time within four to six months, um, and, and that's what people are saying when they're saying waning of immunity. However, uh, memory cells, T cells and B cells that are specific to the spike protein are still maintained fairly well over time. So we're still able to recall these types of memory cells and to provide protection against severe disease. And that's why, uh, as I said, the uh, current vaccines are holding up well against these parameters. Um, However, if you want to prevent infection and therefore transmission among community, uh, you really do need uh, immune responses in the nose and the throat and the um, lung uh, in order to uh, kind of block the virus from um, infecting the host and then spreading from there. Uh, So that's really the difference is that, you know, these current vaccines are doing very well with uh, preventing the individuals uh, from getting sick or very severely sick. However, if you want to protect the community, we need uh, a different type of approach, which is the nasal vaccines.
0: And so you recently showed in some research, I think, was this the first time that nasal spray was tested in an animal model? Um, No, it's
1: not the first time that the nasal spray was tested in the animal models. There have been a number of different studies that are um, trying to develop a similar type of nasal vaccines. Uh, So adenoviral vectored vaccines and other forms of uh, vectored vaccines have already been tried in animal models. Um, The the difference that that our study uh, really um, focused on is unadjuvanted vaccine. So meaning that uh, most vaccines require two components, the vaccine antigen and the adjuvant. Um, And if you want to induce immunity, you need both components. But what we were able to do is to uh, leverage the existing immune responses in the host to use the um, T cell immune response as a natural adjuvant to elicit immune responses um, to the nasal vaccine, which is essentially just the recombinant protein alone without any adjuvant.
0: So let me just back up for a second. Um, so some of our audience might not have totally followed that. So can you just... Uh, clarify what what do you mean by adjuvant and why is that essential for this kind of vaccine
1: Okay so the immune response works by uh, engaging two types of systems one is called the innate immune response and adjuvants trigger activation of the innate immune response without that uh, the the body doesn't mount good adaptive immune responses which are the T and B cell responses that you often hear about and so T and B cells really require uh, help from the innate immune response. Uh, an innate immune response can only be activated with adjuvants. That's why vaccines always have two components the adjuvant component and the antigen component. The antigen is what triggers the TMB cells.
0: Got it. So, how did the mice in this study do when they received this nasal booster on top of an mRNA shot? So, the
1: mice uh, were very protected after the prime and spike. Um, vaccine strategy uh, from, you know, everything from infection, um, pathology, as well as obviously disease and death. Uh, So the animals that received the prime and spike were able to um, basically be protected from a lethal challenge, um, you know, in the animal, the nasal um, model of the COVID-19 in the the animals.
0: And how long would you expect that kind of protection to last?
1: Yeah, so we didn't, um, study the longevity of protection in this particular um, study, even though we did wait for weeks after the um, prime and spike to challenge the animals. Uh, we are currently doing much longer uh, duration to see how long these, uh, the protective immunity lasts after the prime and spike strategy.
0: Is there any reason, scientifically speaking, to expect that it would wane after several months the way that the antibodies from mRNA shots wane?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if there's anything that's particularly you know magical about the prime and spike strategy for um, longevity, except to say that we know from other um, infection and vaccine models that these local immune responses, what's known as the tissue resident memory cells, they tend to last for a very long time within the within the tissue itself. They establish these little um, pockets of um, you know memory. Within the nose and the throat and the lung, um, so I would I would expect that this kind of strategy would uh, be more durable with respect to uh, immune responses. Um, and the other thing that we can do is by using a different type of spike to boost. Uh, through the nasal cavity, we can um, m- broaden the antibody response against a, a different type of spike. So uh, we used SARS-CoV-1 spike, the original SARS spike, to do the um, heterologous prime and boost using this strategy. And indeed, we can elicit antibodies and T-cell response to both uh, spikes, the c- COVID um, spike as well as SARS spike. So it's a very versatile way of um, eliciting hopefully longer lasting immunity that is also more cross protective against different variants of concern
0: so just just really curious like on a scientific level why would why would it be cross reactive like that to the different variants
1: Oh, um, there are a couple of things that we are doing to, to to increase this cross-reactivity. One is, like I said, if you use a different type of spike from the original um, priming vaccine uh, to induce this uh, response against, like I said, the SARS spike protein, um, that that broadens the um, antibody response to that binds to both the spike from the SARS-CoV-2, the current pandemic spike, as well as to the uh, SARS-CoV-1, the 2003 SARS um, spike. And and in doing so, what you're doing is to broaden the specificity of antibody across the spike protein altogether, uh, allowing for um, sort of conserved domains of the spike to be targeted, uh, between those two uh, strategies, the, the prime and the spike. Um, and, and that allows for recognition of spike with many mutations. Um, and, and that's why we were able to broaden the antibody response using this heterologous spike. Um, And it's also important to note that the T cell immunity is also boosted in this manner. And T cell immunity is much more cross-protective against different variants of uh, concerns. So we're doing, you know, uh, a two-pronged approach of antibodies being broadened as well as T cells being boosted within the nose.
0: That sounds very, very much needed. Is this sort of like adding bouncers to the doors of a club? Like if you think of the nose as the, the door?
1: Absolutely. So adding a lot of bouncers um, outside the door uh, in order to prevent invaders from coming in. And also inside the door, we're putting a lot more guards in there too. Those are the T cells that are sort of going to detect the invader once they uh, breach that surface.
0: And like for, you know, us today, we only have the, the mRNA shots. Do we have T cells in our nose or is that mainly just like in other types of tissue in the lung at this point?
1: Yeah. So if you only gotten the vaccine through the muscle route, uh, you are going to develop T-cell responses, but not in in the nose itself. So those T-cells are circulating and in in different lymphoid organs, uh, ready to respond again, but they're not sitting in the right place to respond immediately. And that's the difference between mucosal and systemic immunity, is that the mucosal immunity is located in the right place at the right time.
0: So I wish we had this available right now. Um, I know you still have to do human testing. So tell us a little bit about the plan for that.
1: Yeah, we're working night and day to try to uh, bring this to humans. Um, and as you say, we do have to make a uh, human quality material uh, as well as testing for safety and, and uh, efficacy before we can broaden this approach to the population. However, we are teaming up with a, a startup company uh, which licensed this technology. And that company called Xanadu is now working very hard to partner with uh, larger pharma, uh, which can help us with the production as well as testing of these um, strategies.
0: That's amazing. So what is the timeline just realistically that we might expect to see progress on this front?
1: Um, well, I'm talking to uh, different partners you know, on a daily basis. Um, also, there are people, philanthropists and others who are very keen on supporting this um, strategy. So we've already gotten infusion of funds to be able to do non-human primate work uh, from the FAST grant, for example, which is incredibly useful because we can go from mouse to primate to humans uh, much faster now. Uh, so I'm hopeful, but um, you know we are working at warp speed <laughs> the, the way we can, yeah. And,
0: and I know development of uh, vaccines has really exponentially increased um, since the pandemic started and, and shown how much f- faster it can go than in previous times. But still, that being said, it, it takes you know, I imagine many months to gather that data and to do the research and the follow up. So realistically, are we looking at like several years away for this or some other time frame?
1: Um, I hope not several years, but uh, hopefully within a year or so. Uh, But that's that is working at this warp speed and we don't have the uh, kind of warp speed funding to do it yet. So uh, hopefully we can raise enough funds to be able to get there um, in a year or hopefully within a little bit over a year.
0: And are your is your group the only one working on this specific type of nasal booster for COVID?
1: Yeah. um, As I mentioned, there are many groups working on nasal vaccines in general uh, using different platforms. Uh, We are the only one working with the unadjuvanted spike, um, as well as we also tested mRNA vaccine coded in uh, different nanoparticle uh, that can also induce the similar kind of response. Um, So yeah, these two particular um, agents, uh, I believe we're the only ones trying to do that right now.
0: Okay. And Uh, Just coming back to where we are today, there's so much discussion about a fourth booster of an mRNA shot and whether, you know, I know the FDA is reviewing this. Should should people get it in the fall? I mean, I'm speaking about the general population, not, um, you know, much older people or immunocompromised people, uh, whether the booster should be adapted to variants like Omicron. Um, or whether they're even necessary at all for for people that don't have other types of conditions or vulnerabilities so do you have any insights on um, on people who are wondering what what might we expect in the coming months or the rest of this year?
1: Um, well, it's really hard to predict what might happen this year because uh, that all depends on what kinds of variants of concern might emerge um, and, you know, if it's highly transmissible or more virulent or a combination, um, the type of discussion we'll be, we will be having will be distinct. Um, but uh, for now, the uh, as I said, the current vaccines are working well to prevent severe disease, especially uh, after the third dose and uh, potentially in immunocompromised patients as well as uh, older people, um, the fourth shot may be needed um to boost their immune response because the immune response is um, limited in the in the in the first place within these individuals. So uh, that's something that we need to wait more data. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I, I think we, we cannot be complacent about this pandemic being over um, because I I think there may be other variants that might arise in the future that requires different kind of thinking.
0: Yeah, that seems to be the really scary part here is that it could just come out of left field like Omicron and uh, really catch us. Off. I will, maybe some people like you were not caught off guard. I think a lot of other people were.
1: Yeah, well, no one was like predicting this particular variant, of course, um, because, you know, we, we were thinking at that point, the Delta will emerge into some further variants that would uh, trigger uh, the, the further waves of infection but yeah omicron kind of did take everyone by surprise
0: yeah and um, if we'd had the nasal booster strategy already might we have limited the the impact of omicron
1: I, I would I would hope so and think so and um, One of the advantages, uh, which we didn't even get into yet, is of this uh, prime and uh, spike strategy, is that because it's a nasal vaccine, you don't need healthcare workers to administer this kind of booster, right? And it's very stable at room temperature. Uh, We don't need a cold chain to um, really distribute this throughout the world. And so you can imagine delivering these types of vaccine to uh, remote parts of the world where there are no uh, established health care line uh, to be able to administer this, you know, self-administer this um, within um, populations. And that that would change the distribution as well as the uptake, I think, of of vaccines in general, Um, particularly people who are afraid of needles. Um, that this may be a much better, palatable kind of vaccine uh, to, to take.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. That's a very important point. Um, and what about side effects compared to mRNA shots?
1: Yeah, uh, we we don't really see any side effects. I mean, of course, we can't survey the mice, (laughs) how they're feeling. But um, as far as we can tell from uh, tissue analyses, we don't see uh, much inflammation at all because we're not giving any adjuvant. And so just the uh, recombinant spike protein in um, saline solution. Um, that's sprayed right into the nose. It's, it's extremely innocuous, I think. Um, and uh, we, you know we are generating strong booster immune response without much side effect. Uh, but of course, that needs to be tested in humans.
0: Of course. Um, and is this the kind of thing where we would all be kind of getting a nasal booster once a year or once every period of time just to keep up those, those uh, bouncers at the door, as it were?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So those, um, you know, bouncers will reduce uh, in number over time, and uh, if we can do this very easily, for example, you go to the, you know, drugstore to get a uh, nasal spray, and just do this health, uh, uh, a sort of self-administer um, booster, even if it is required every six months, it's it's not a very high bar for people to to be able to do so.
0: Understood. And, and just to clarify, in, in case. Um you know, I don't want people to be misunderstood in any way, or, or maybe haven't totally followed this conversation. This is this is a nasal booster after you've had the mRNA series. This is not just a nasal vaccine on its own, right? That's
1: correct. Yeah, that this is a booster strategy um, that requires the primary series, absolutely. So, um, but but you know, hopefully by now many people have already gotten that. Um, and and uh, as I said, I don't, I don't think it really matters what kind of vaccine you've uh, received prior. I think this booster will work with um and j or um, inactivated virus vaccine or even possibly prior infection uh, can be boosted with this strategy.
0: So if we were all to like later this year get a fourth dose, let's say there's a horrible new variant that comes around. Um, and then in another year or two or whatever, get the nasal booster. Is that acceptable to our immune system? Or is there like any worry about kind of overstimulating the immune system?
1: Yeah, I'm not worried about overstimulating the immune system. Uh, immune system, you know, is used to getting exposed to different pathogens all the time. Um, however, you know, I think in terms of financial um uh, you know, like demand, that basically, like having to pay for this vaccines uh, at the country level, um, as well as having all the sort of healthcare worker labor hours and everything else that's required to administer the fourth or fifth booster to everyone. It, it, you know, it is challenging for any countries, even wealthy ones, um, and so hopefully, this kind of uh, self-administered mucosal vaccine will alleviate that um, burden.
0: Yeah, this would absolutely be a huge game changer. So I wish you all the the luck and success with this. We'll be following closely. Thank you so much. Do you have any last um, insights or, or words for our audience to just end the conversation on?
1: Yeah, I, I, I thank you for having me on this show. And um, I, you know, pandemic isn't over. I know everyone is really tired of staying home or masking and um, being careful but you know I I think we cannot be complacent at this point so um, I would really take a lot of measures that we've been doing over the last two years and and continue to be vigilant especially in communities where there's still um, high levels of transmission occurring.
0: Understood. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Your research really gives me and and so many other people a lot of hope and excitement um, in a time that's been very dark. So thank you for everything you do. Um, And thanks to everyone for listening. So this is actually my last podcast as I'm stepping down as editor in chief of theleaps.org program but a wonderful new editor is going to be continuing the show and he'll be bringing you a new episode of making sense of science in the coming weeks so stay tuned and thank you everybody